Before we begin the podcast, I would like to acknowledge the traditional custodians of the land on which we recorded this podcast on, the people of the Yugambe language region. I pay my respects to their elders past, present and emerging and extend that respect to any Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples listening today. Welcome back to Calling All Lovers. I'm your host, Katie Hennessy, and today I have Avril Clark, aka Sexology Girl on Instagram, on the podcast. So we talk about Avril's journey into becoming a sexologist and then how she got into the porn industry working as an intimacy coordinator for Erica Lust. We talk about the porn industry and what she actually does in her job as an intimacy coordinator, which I found really interesting because I'd only ever heard of intimacy coordinators on films and never within the porn industry. We talk about what ethical porn actually means. It's a really interesting conversation, so I hope you enjoy it and you learn something that you didn't know before. If you enjoy this episode, please leave a review on Apple Podcasts because it helps get this podcast out to more people. I'll be back next week with another guest episode. Hi, Avril. Welcome to the podcast. I'm really excited to have you on. Hi, thank you so much for having me. So I start my podcast with my guest pronouns. Um, So mine is she, her. And mine are also she, her. Great. So I have an icebreaker question. Um, whatever you're comfortable with sharing, but do you have like a wildest or worst dating sex love story? Oh man. Well, <laughs> nothing comes to mind, but I, I, I do probably because maybe there's too, too many and it's not saying like in a very positive way all the time, either. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but, um, I guess since we're talking about porn today, I, I can, I can kind of talk about that experience um well okay so when I was beginning my dating experience as like a very young teenager you know just kind of like getting to know people and first kisses and all that fun stuff yeah um I I was like totally in love with this boy named Jack and we ended up being separated going to different high schools and um I remember going over to his house one day to hang out after school and uh, we were kind of like nervous and because we knew that we liked each other. And, you know, um, I remember um, it was the first time I I, I saw porn um, because, you know, bringing it back to I, I was like a kid of the 90s. Like mm-hmm. so like, you know, um, social media was just like budding, uh, but it wasn't like I had so much ex- access, I would say, to yeah. to the online porn today and so his parents had 
what we called like Skinamax. I remember like oh, HBO remember back that. then. It was, it's called Cinemax. So it was okay. like, it was kind of like the equivalent of like, I guess how we have like streaming mm-hmm. today, but it was like special programs you can get on your TV, which my parents did not have because mm-hmm. we had like very basic cable. And I remember him putting on this, essentially, I guess like a, a porn film. I don't really remember <laughs> if it was like soft or what. And it was, I just remember be, sitting there because I think that he thought, well, this is what adults do. You know, we were kind mm-hmm. of in that weird TV stage. And I just, and like, it was like, you're kind of, I guess, doing what still porn does today, which is mm-hmm. like, well, this is what adults do. This is how, wh- what we're supposed to do. And this is supposed to turn you on. Mm-hmm. And I remember just like sitting there watching and just being like, I don't know what to take of <laughs> all <of> this. <laughs> and, yeah, so I, I remember just that. I remember just being extremely distracted, almost kind of disturbed, but curious and interested and wondering if this is what I'm supposed to like. Yeah. Um, and that, that stands is out. so random, though. Did he, like, caveat it with anything? Like, is he like, okay, so we're going to watch this? Or, like, like, did he just put it on? I think so. Like, it's a very hazy, fuzzy memory, but I think so. I think, yeah, it was probably something very, like, awkward and teenager-y at the time. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, wow. there was no, you know, like, uh, very inexperienced, not sure what to do and mm-hmm. what we're supposed to do. And, and, and um, I mean, nothing happened, essentially, after that. All I remember is just being like, what? Okay. <laughs> <laughs> So that's my story as far as when I can bring it back to I don't know, keeping yeah. on the theme. And that is such an interesting, like, I guess, for you entry into porn, like unsolicited. <laughs> Super weird. Yeah, exactly. As I think a lot of it is for many mm. people, you know? Yeah, um, definitely. So how did you go from that to wanting to sort of learn about the mechanisms behind porn and ethical porn and what you do now, which is sexology and intimacy coordination? Like what was the journey for you? Because I read a little bit about sort of your introduction into the professional world and it seems like you were on a totally different trajectory and then you moved into sexology what how did that happen yeah well I think so not so long after that you know weird beginning of high school awkward situation um I made a group of friends and they were very much so like um I don't know like social political activist friends we were very into I don't know, protesting and reproductive (laughs) rights. And George Bush was the president then, right? So we were pissed and angry and Mm -hmm. young. And and I'm still pissed, but but, um, we uh, created a group in high school um, called the HIV AIDS Awareness Club. And essentially what it did was it brought a lot of um, sexologists and sex educators to our school. We'd go on like field trips or excursions, they call it in Europe, to different events um, in Miami um, Mm -hmm. regarding, um, yeah, uh, sex education. And so 
at that time I was probably like 14, 15. And, um, I essentially at, during that time met this or was introduced to this, um, sexologist called Dr. Marilyn Volker, and she's a Miami based sexologist and she teaches at the university of Miami or taught at the university of Miami. Mm -hmm. And, um, she really like blew my mind as a teenager because I grew up in a very Irish Catholic household. My parents immigrated to the United States in the eighties. And so I had this like crazy mix, which was like this very conservative household growing up in a very sexually liberated city, Mm -hmm. uh, but also in a very conservative state, meaning I had no sex education because in America, the, the education, the curriculum is essentially organized by the state. Mm-hmm. So, um, it was just filled with mixed messages. So as a teenager, by creating this club, we essentially just took it upon ourselves to give ourselves sex education, to bring professionals to our school. And so that happened. And that kind of like, was this like nugget that remained in my mind forever. Mm-hmm. And, um, and then, yeah, I guess like, well, life goes on. I went to university. I studied politics. I was studied political science, international relations, because I guess it all kind of relates. I was very like politically motivated at the time. Um, and I, I essentially graduated from university. I had no idea what I was going to do with my life as a lot of us feel. (laughs) And um, I decided to take Uh, a job uh, through the Ministry of Education in Spain. And so I was sent to live in Ibiza for a year um, and teach in schools. Um, Nothing about sex ed, just English, Mm -hmm. right? And um, I essentially decided to stay. And I kind of got to a moment where I was like, I miss being a student. I want to study. I found a, a program in Spain to study clinical sexology. And it kind of like rerouted this like, this interest. And I remember being like, I really like this. Mm-hmm. And I guess a part of me too really wanted to like continue that. And, and, you know, through this it's, and through studying this, it also brought in a bunch of like, I don't know, healing, if you want to call it, uh, <laughs> healing my inner child or yeah. confused teenager or whatever. And, um, and then from that, I started just uh, working with different programs um, as far as like creating workshops and organizing sex ed workshops here in Spain and then in America. And then I eventually got connected with um, Erica Lust, who is an ethical porn producer here in Barcelona. And I was presented to um, manage or relaunch her nonprofit project called the porn conversation mm-hmm. which is um uh like our baby i like to call it um because it provides free and easily accessible um educational tools like porn literacy tools for young people mm-hmm. and so i worked on that um developing the curriculum conversation guide under the mentorship of a really really amazing sexologist uh, her name is dr bianca laureano she's based in california and um, essentially, yeah, are now running that. I also work as an intimacy coordinator on set of Ericless Films. Mm-hmm. And so I think that's probably a really, really exciting part of my job. 
I go on set and um, I work uh, as kind of a liaison Mm -hmm. between the production team and the sex workers. So that might mean, um, you know, working through consent forms and boundaries and making sure that they're best um, taken care of when they're on set. We can go more into that, but that's essentially uh, what I do now. That's amazing. Um, Could you talk a bit more about what you do when you're on set um, for the Erica Lust films? Like you mentioned that you sort of go between and you do sort of consent check-ins, but what is that process? Like, could you sort of walk me through the steps that you do before a film comes out, like in your role specifically even? Yeah. So, um, yeah, definitely. I think, you know, we're, we're preparing for a shoot right now that's going to happen in about two weeks. Mm -hmm. And so essentially my role begins in pre-production Um, so when the script is ready, I will receive a copy of it. I go through it. I begin to understand the story and I understand what's happening, where it's happening. So I can kind of, um, build an idea in my mind of of what to prepare for. Mm -hmm. Essentially, then I meet the cast. And so we have like one-on-one, um, calls with the cast and the director, maybe the assistant director and the talent manager. So there's about four of us. And so at that time we do start to then have conversations as far as, um, an overview, have they read the script? How are they feeling about the set, Mm -hmm. um, and the, the scenes that they're in. And, um, we begin to tell them the, 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 their, you know, co-performers, um, who are they going to be working with also like, how do they feel about that? And so at that time we do start to begin to check in to get the overall feel, um, of, you know, how they feel about being on this project overall. Mm -hmm. Um, essentially then I do a check-in with them one-on-one. So after they meet me face-to-face, whether or not it's face-to-face or over Zoom, depending on their location, and I um, set up, you know, um, what we call a consent and boundaries check-in form. I also have a crisis form that I have them fill out, which helps me understand what would help them most in the, in a moment of crisis if it mm-hmm. weren't to occur. Um, so and this cool. means, yeah, this could mean anything from like stress to triggers to all the everything in between, right? Um, mm-hmm. So that's filled out and then also setting them up with STI testing. So what tests will we require? Um, and also when to get them done, what we require of them afterwards. And then also, you know, the consent to, to share this information with fellow performers. Mm -hmm. And so then from then on, uh, they have the option to meet with me one-on-one. So this means like, um, without the director, without the Mm -hmm. AD, assistant director, um, without the talent manager, um, because essentially I'm going to be the one representing them and, you know, being the person that's going to be communicating with the production team on their behalf mm-hmm. when it comes to their comfort, um, mentally, sexually. And so, um, 
Yeah. From then I kind of learn more about them. Um, they might have some things that come up or some things that maybe they don't feel essentially as comfortable with like bringing up with the director and everything. And so keeping in mind, which I think is really important for everyone, whether or not you're a performer or not is, um, there can be power imbalances, right? So, mm-hmm. um, sometimes a performer might feel nervous to bring some s- certain things up to uh, a director, um, because of that power imbalance. Yeah. So, um, yeah, it's a really good time for them to talk with me one-on-one and then essentially I'll have a meeting, another meeting with them, uh, with the performers together. Mm-hmm. Um, so that means everyone who's going to be in a sex scene together, um, we meet, we share, uh, the consent and boundary forms with each other. We make sure that each other read each other's, uh, forms. They understand, we discuss because of course, like when it comes to consent, it's not just yes, no, but there might mm-hmm. also be, you know, it's very nuanced too. So we go into discussion asking like, well, you know, what are your like, strict, strict boundaries. Okay. You put maybe here, it depends if I want to do this certain activity. What do you mean by that? Mm -hmm. So we really get into discussion and then the director will typically join us and, uh, later on in the meeting and we talk all together. Um, then when we come to being on set production, so I'm on set all day from like transportation when we meet in the morning to when the end of day and um how long does that normally go for like one like a one day shoot typically like 12 hour days wow yeah so um but if it's going to be a longer production like the one that we're planning on october it's going to be a week long so it might mean yeah uh so it's you know that's another thing to keep in mind too is like it's a really long day and I also think um what's really great about Eric Les films is the the care and the amount of people involved in creating mm-hmm. these films yeah so there can be about like 40 people sometimes on set wow. and maybe a performer is used to just three or four and so that's another thing to consider mm-hmm. is like understanding well what is it going to be like and feel like to be there that day yeah obviously during the sex scene there's not 40 people standing (laughs) yeah I was gonna say like that is like stage fright (laughs) yeah you know it's called performance anxiety for a reason right Mm -hmm, so yeah (laughs) it's um so essentially yeah there won't be like we're very good like so if when I'm on set then um another part of my roles is not only to just be there and for them and checking in with them and seeing mm-hmm. everything's going okay and making sure that they have the contraceptives they prefer um everything that's uh you know clean sex toys and and the ones that they want and you know slippers and robes and everything to make them feel comfortable yeah. but also we do like a pre-sex scene talk so we'll go over um again those hard boundaries, the safe words. Um, and, and there's a deep understanding of, of, you know, what's, um, what's going to happen. And Mm -hmm. and also it helps because they're actually there then on the set. And so now this like is really important to have again. 
uh, this talk. And then typically, yeah, it's a, during the sex scene, it's closed off. Like there's, it's not going to be, you know, whether or not it's like done through a curtain, um, there's, you know, there's not going to be 40 people standing there. (laughs) So, um, typically it will be a lot more intimate and, um, and, and it creates a safe space. Yeah. Wow. That is so in depth and there's so much to that, that it makes me like, I don't know the right word for it. I guess I'm going to go with anxious for the time when there weren't intimacy coordinators on set. And I, I don't even know if that is across all like productions or if that is just specifically to Erica Lust. Um, as far as like ethically produced film sets, I think it's um it's a growing role in film sets in general. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I think um it's it's definitely quite quite new. Yeah. yeah. And could you talk to me about what that means, ethically produced porn? Because I think people have probably heard it as a buzzword, but they might not necessarily know what it actually means. Yeah. So I think like there's a lot of terms that are used when we talk about ethical porn, um, ethical Mm -hmm. porn, feminist porn. There's a lot of, um, yeah, different terminology that you'll see used and all the above are, are, are correct, whichever you prefer to use. Um, so I think, um, it, what it comes down to ethical porn is ethically produced porn. Mm -hmm. So it's what happens behind the scenes and what happens during the production process, just like, you know, the role, my role within the production process pre during and post production is, is essentially really important to the definition of ethically produced porn. It means that there's transparency. It means that there's fair pay. It means that there's, um, support, given to performers from pre-production to post. Mm -hmm. Um, It means basically having uh, more more diversity behind the cameras, uh, in the offices, um, from editing to the interns to uh, the director, to just have um, porn that is produced and, and created beyond the typical male gaze. Mm -hmm. Um, and so I think that's a lot of the confusion because when it comes to the final product, right, what you see on your screen, essentially there's, there's no way to really tell is this ethical porn because it's everything that happens behind the scenes. Right. Mm -hmm. And so one way that you probably can tell if it's ethical porn is it typically exists beyond a paywall. So paying for your porn, right? And the reason Mm -hmm. why it exists beyond a paywall, meaning you have to have a subscription or pay for that film, is um, it relates directly to having fair pay. And also to, you know, we're not going to bombard you then with advertisements and trying to, uh, you know, steal your data or information just to have you watch this film for free. Um, and then also the transparency, right? So when you can view ethically produced porn, typically, um, you can see the name of the director. You could, there's a credit section, right? Mm -hmm. You can see who was, 
Right. Just as you know that, you know, I don't know, Steven Spielberg directed um, Jurassic Park, mm-hmm. right? You know that. Yeah. Um, when I go to a free online porn site, uh, it might, you know, be like, okay, Bang Bros produced it. <laughs> like, who are they? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Who's behind that? Who There's like accountability to it. Yeah. And, and it's because we're proud of what we make. And mm-hmm. so I think that's, there's no reason to hide behind that. Um, yeah, essentially. Yeah, definitely. I wanted to dive into a bit more about like porn in general. And there's been a lot of like conversations more recently, especially in Australia, because um, we're having a, like a complete overhaul of our sex education program from one of my previous guests that was on here. Um, Chanel Contas she actually did a huge like advocacy campaign around consent education and that has gone through parliament and now we're completely overhauling sex education here which is amazing Um, but there were conversations about like should porn be included in the sex education talks because of the research I guess and just the rise in like aggressive sexual sort of dominating situations with in heterosexual I guess dynamics and people were sort of linking that to boys watching porn younger and needing to progress I guess more intensely in what they're watching because they started so young and they needed something more each time and I was wondering what are some things that you think is important to educate people on about porn when I guess they're starting out watching it? Yeah, that's a great question. And I I also think it's really great to see how um, Australia and, for example, the UK are, are really pushing for for sex education now and and i think that um porn and and talking about porn is such an essential part of sex mm-hmm. education and the reason being is that i think it has had such an effect for so long on on our understanding and relationship to sex Mm-hmm. to our bodies, to consent, to contraceptives, to race, yeah. the fetishization of, um, you know, um, certain sexual orientations and, and certain races. And so mm-hmm. it's really, really essential that we, we teach porn literacy. And so the porn conversation is, um, the project that, that, uh, the nonprofit project we have that, uh, provides porn literacy, educational tools. And so a lot of people, first of all, don't understand what porn literacy is. So I can, I can break that down. And it's, um, it's, it's taken from a a decades old, um, educational framework called media literacy. And what Mm -hmm. that does is it essentially helps you, uh, critique the media that you consume. Um, and so, Basically, that's anything from social media to an advertisement on your TV to a billboard. Um, But it's done in a way that we are now critiquing porn as a form of sexualized media. Mm -hmm. Um, Because porn is essentially mainstream media, right? It's it's very, 
very heavily consumed. And so I'm, and it's not saying that I'm pro-porn, anti-porn. I think this, what I really like about porn literacy, it's a very realistic um, framework. So it essentially allows people to critique and construct their own meanings from Mm -hmm. porn, whether or not they are actively seeking it or have been um, exposed to it um, through a pop-up or through, um, you know, a Google search yeah, it's or, <laughs> yeah. And, and whether or not they enjoy it, they like it, they support it, or they pay for their porn or they completely detest porn and they think it's evil <laughs> or dirty <laughs> or bad. Um, porn literacy is really important for everybody. Um, and, and essentially how it works is we have, um, it, it it's based off like, you know, the, the five key messages of, of media literacy, which is like, you know, who created this message, which is what we talked about. That's the mm-hmm. important transparency. Why did they create it? Um, what ideas uh, are, or messages are they trying to send mm-hmm. in this? Yeah. And also like what identities are included in this and, and what are omitted from this, um, mm-hmm. you know, and so it's it's a way to also analyze, well, how is this media, this porn or this sexualized media, right, um, affecting me personally, mm-hmm. whether or not it's affecting the way I feel about a certain identity or it's affecting the way I feel or understand sex or consent. Mm-hmm. Um, and so... I feel like, you know, when it comes to sex education, when it comes to porn literacy, it's so important that we are more mindful consumers um, of media in general, because it can really change the way we approach our things and Mm -hmm. and it can change our behaviors and our understanding about sex and sexuality. And so essentially, I think porn needs to be a part of sex education 100%. And I think we need to talk about it more um, because a lot of people are watching it. Mm -hmm. And so let's kind of understand and decide, well, if I want to consume porn, great. It makes me feel good. It gives me pleasure. Great. But also to ask yourself, well, um, is this a type of porn that aligns with my values or mm-hmm. not? Um, how is this affecting me positively, negatively? Um, just kind of being more mindful consumers. Yeah, definitely. That kind of plays into a question that I had come in from someone and they said, why do some people feel gross after watching porn? And I've even seen that on memes that it's like, people just like shutting their laptop straight away and like throwing it over the bed after they finished watching it. Right. So I feel like it's a common phenomenon. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. It's, it's almost like, um, you know, we can even couple it with masturbation. I think that it's something that typically happens behind closed doors. You watch Mm -hmm. porn and then you like delete your browser history and you like, you know, password protect files and it's like there's so much shame and guilt that's already Mm -hmm. wrapped up in it 
that that's why I really, really like the approach of foreign literacy because mm-hmm. it's a way that, yeah, we start talking about it. We start having conversations about it and, um, and supporting the way that we choose to then express our sexuality and express the way that we want to use media to feel good or feel, um, sexually satisfied or explore fantasies or, um, you know, just it's, it's not bad to do this, but Mm -hmm. sometimes it's nice to decide how are we, um, relating to this media. Yeah. Yeah. Choosing something, like you said before, that makes you feel good when you're watching yeah. it and also after <laughs> and a- and after right before yeah. during and after <laughs> always really nice to kind of approach the way that we relate to porn mm-hmm. what are some advantages um that porn can have for someone's sexual wellness yeah good question um i think there's so much focus on the negatives right mm-hmm. um well, I, I kind of just named one, for example, like exploring sexual fantasies. Mm-hmm. How great is it that we have a medium that we can view and decide and ask ourselves like, hey, this certain behavior or act really turns me on, whether or not it's a threesome scene, right? Let's yeah. say it's something that I fantasize about and I watch and it really, really turns me on, but then I can decide for myself is this something that just turns me on and I like Mm -hmm. to view? Um, Maybe not essentially something I want to try out in real life. Um, Or maybe it's also someone exploring their own sexuality, right? Um, Being like, oh, I really enjoy watching lesbian porn Mm -hmm. as a woman. Um, Then you can ask yourself these porn literacy questions. Be like, am I consuming this because, and this is um, actually something that happens quite often. Um, I, I'm not consuming this because I'm essentially attracted to, to other Volvo owners, mm-hmm. but perhaps it's because, well, the way it was produced, it looks um, like maybe there was more care. Maybe yeah. it's the slower sex. Maybe it's because of um, these certain aspects within it. Um, maybe because there isn't a presence of a very dominating mm-hmm. Uh, penis owner in the scene and so maybe it's just because of I don't like how men are represented in porn Mm -hmm. um or women right and so there's these kind of ways to to kind of explore and see well what do I like and also what do I not like yeah um so that can be helpful also I find porn really really helpful for um uh, partners who maybe are looking to explore more in their sex life or maybe to learn more about each other. Mm-hmm. I think sometimes that happens a lot, uh, especially long-term relationships. People feel like I know everything about my partner mm-hmm. and they have kind of the same sex, the same approach to sex for so long. Yeah. And I say, okay, well, why don't you use porn? Even if it's just like watching some trailers on a mm-hmm. ethical porn site that you like or um, and kind of like having conversations with each other, be like, what do you like about this? What don't you, would you mm-hmm. like to try this? Maybe we don't, but maybe it's something really sexy we can talk about. Um, it can open a lot of conversation. Which yeah, I, really like. I have a question about that because um, I heard someone talking about it on a podcast the other day and mm-hmm. they were saying that them and their partner got into this routine of only being able to have sex 
while they were watching porn and Mm -hmm. they found it like a negative sort of influence because it was more like an obsession and they didn't know how to do it without it. So what are some boundaries that you can put in place or how would you even like start to approach that maybe you want to introduce this into your relationship, but boundaries so that everyone feels comfortable and so that it's not going to overtake your time, just the two of you. Yeah, that's really interesting. Um, I always feel like uh, it's a really good idea and practice to question your relationship with porn too, right? Mm -hmm. Am I using this for positive purposes or am I using this uh, because maybe it's it's, um, covering some negative feelings? Um, So in this case with this couple, it's like, well, this was maybe something that was extremely helpful for us at first, but Mm -hmm. how come we can't uh, relate to each other sexually when it's not involved? Yeah. And so being able to question and being like, okay, well, what is it that we like about this? And what kind of porn are we typically watching when we are together? What can we take from this as inspiration to use with each other without Mm -hmm. this medium in the bedroom and kind of see if we can, um, you know, work through bringing that into our sex lives without it, without the screen. Right. Um, and I'm not saying that maybe it's essentially going to be something easy at first. I think anytime we make a change, it can be Mm -hmm. awkward and scary and all that, but, um, it could be nice to kind of take from it and kind of question and say, well, um, yeah, what would it be like if we, um, I don't know, try this practice more that we see in the film or role play what we're seeing in the film mm-hmm. versus having it play out for us. Yeah. So, um, yeah. And I think that's something fun to kind of explore too, because I always think when people go to therapists, they think it's like, uh, this is going to fix us kind <laughs> of situation. I guess just like porn too, right? Like this is going to fix us and this is fixing us. So we're going to keep it there. Um, but also it's like 90% of the work is when you're away from that, when you're away from the therapist or when you close that screen, mm-hmm. how are you going to allow this to positively affect your um, sex life or your relationship? Yeah, definitely. And how would someone um, approach the topic of maybe wanting to try that with their partner? Like their partner has no idea that maybe they even watch porn or that they would want to bring it into the relationship. How would they start that conversation? If they wanted to bring it into their relationship. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, by, I guess, I mean, it depends by couple, right? So it depends on the dynamic. It's like, Mm -hmm. do you know that your partner also watches porn? Yeah. Um, or do they not? I would say just like any conversation, right? Just kind of like asking, well, what what are your thoughts on, on pornography? Do you consume it? Do you not? Mm-hmm. Um, what do you like about it? Why? What do you not like about it? And, and also being able to say like, would this be something you would be interested in trying with me? And this is important because this is when we use consent within the partnership. And also understanding that consent exists on a spectrum. It's not always a yes or no. Mm -hmm. So maybe a partner will show some like ambivalence to it and be like, well, maybe, and be like, okay, well, if it's a maybe, it's okay to also be in that gray area. 
Um, but we can ask follow-up questions, be like, okay, well, um, why, why are you more on the maybe side? Is it because you're nervous? Is it because maybe you're excited about it, but you're not too mm-hmm. sure? Um, also understanding that it could be something you can try with a partner and then you decide, actually, this is not <laughs> what I expected. <laughs> and yeah. you can laugh about it and decide like, hey, cool. We both consented to this at first, but maybe one of us is feeling a little iffy about it. Mm-hmm. And you can also be honest, brutally honest to your partner and be like, I thought this would be great. I'm actually find it kind of awkward to watch this with you. <laughs> Maybe I'm not too sure why right now. Maybe it was because it was such a private thing for me for so long. Mm-hmm. And so I'm going to continue to use this privately instead and be okay with that too. Of course, respecting each other. Um, yeah. More than anything, going into the practice with a very open mind, mm-hmm. not using it as um, a tool for... Um, I guess, like creating friction, but using it as a tool for understanding, cool, I'm actually maybe going to find out some things about my partner I actually Mm -hmm. didn't know before. Mm -hmm. Um, And maybe I'm also going to find out things that, hey, maybe they have something they're into or uh, they like or would like to try that maybe I actually don't. And (laughs) that's okay too, because we're all so different. Yeah. Whereas like an exploration tool. Exactly. Yeah, Yeah, definitely. Cool. Well, I've had so much fun chatting with you. I'm, I loved like all of your answers to my questions. I think it's something that needs to be talked about more often. And as you said, because like everyone's doing it almost and it's unavoidable. Um, so I'm really glad that we got to chat about it today. Do you have any events coming up? I've got some listeners in Europe. So if you have any events coming up, did you want to let them know about it? Yeah, um, definitely. I mean, I'm not too sure when this is going to be posted. So I'm not sure Probably what this weekend. Are be. <laughs> this weekend. Okay, great. Yeah. So ne- next Wednesday, um, I'm actually doing a free workshop with Porn Conversation. Um, you can find more information about that on Instagram. Uh, our Instagram is called P conversation, the letter P, um, because, you know, we can't use certain words on Ugh, social media. Yeah. <laughs> uh, you can find more information about me personally in my practice, uh, uh, sexology girl, that's my Instagram. Um, and then just, yeah, more information about the nonprofit project I manage with Erica List at thepornconversation.org. Perfect. Thank you so much for coming on the podcast. Thank you. It was so much fun. I love talking about porn.